Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Connect Church. Hey, can we celebrate our team this morning? Thank them for serving and leading us out. We are so grateful that you are here. And, uh, and I try to say this every Sunday, remember to. Uh, just what a joy it is to get to make much of Jesus together, to do everything we can to connect everyone we can with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we do that is right here on Sunday mornings. And we are so grateful uh, that you are here today and so grateful that we get to do that uh, together. I want to say this. There's a really an alarming stat, a troubling number that's out there that I've got to share with you today. You ready? And it's this right here. There are 57 days left until Chris. Hey, thank you for cheering, Trey. I love that. Um, I'm going to tell you, I've really had to fight the urge to have Pastor Zach and his team kind of just transform all our worship over to Christmas worship and music and stuff. And listen, some of y'all are excited about that thought. How many of you guys in the room are diehard set that you should not sing a Christmas song until after Thanksgiving. Would you raise your... God, I feel attacked. <laughs> I mean, that hurts. I don't know that we can go to church together anymore. Uh, kidding. Uh, just a little bit. But hey, I understand that. I know Christmas is coming in. Man, this is a busy time of year for so many. But grateful that you make a priority on Sunday morning. I want to say a quick thank you. Last week was our commitment Sunday, and it was incredible. Uh, to say thank you to the hundreds who have already invested in, turned in pledge cards, and committed to pray for what is phase two of our five-year vision. Uh, now, I know a lot of you weren't here last week. I know there's people traveling and sickness, and so for the next few weeks, we are going to be collecting pledge cards and give everyone at Connect Church an opportunity uh, to be part in that. And then, in a few weeks, we're going to come together, and we're going to celebrate what has already been an incredible commitment from you, Connect Church, so that the generations would know him. So thank you so much. Today, we wade back into the deep end of the pool in the Gospel of John. Uh, to catch us up, Jesus has already called Lazarus out of his grave, crashing his funeral and ensuring that the next funeral would be Jesus' own. We celebrated Palm Sunday together, which celebrated Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, kicking off what would be the last days and the last hours of Jesus' life. But here in John chapter 13 today, we sit down at the table with Jesus and his disciples. They're sharing in the Passover meal, but there's a problem with the disciples. You ready? And here's the problem. There's a whole lot of dirty feet and a whole lot of prideful hearts at the table. A whole lot of dirty feet, a whole lot of prideful hearts at the table. So if you will, meet with me in John chapter 13 in your Bibles, beginning in verse 1. And what we find here is unique to the Gospel of John. So for the next five chapters from John 13, 1 to John 18, 1, we are sitting down at this meal and we are hearing Jesus teach. We are having a conversation with Jesus for the next... Five chapters in the Gospel of John. In fact, there are teachings in the next five chapters in the Gospel of John that we find nowhere else in the New Testament. Not with Matthew, not with Mark, and not with Luke. And I just want to hear it. I am so thankful the Holy Spirit saw fit, inspired John to record these events for us because they are some of the most beautiful, 
and wonderful and impactful teachings that Jesus gives us. So as you meet with me in John chapter 13, I want us to begin by looking at the text. It says this, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. I want you to hear me. This hour spoken of here has really been on heaven's clock since the beginning. Jesus speaks of this hour several times in the Gospel of John. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 4, the sight of Jesus' first miracle, changing that water over into wine, Jesus acknowledges this truth that my hour has not yet come. But here we find ourselves in John chapter 13, verse 1. And the hour for Jesus' death is at hand. It's quickly approaching. Last week I shared with you this text uh, concerning our our Commitment Sunday, that if you don't see it before you can see it, you will never see it. I want you to hear me. God saw this hour coming long before it came to be. The countdown clock for that hour began at the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And event after event in the Old Testament, like this Passover meal we're celebrating in John 13, have pointed to this hour of Jesus' death. Remember, what the Passover celebrates. Remember what it commemorates. The events of Exodus chapter 12, when God freed his people from the slavery of Pharaoh in Egypt. The Pharaoh's heart had been hardened towards God, towards Moses, and towards the very people of God. And so in a final and the most punitive act of judgment against Pharaoh in Egypt, God sends the death angel to take the lives of the firstborn all over Egypt. Yet we see God spares and God saves his people from this angel of death. He instructed them, take the blood of an innocent lamb and put that blood on the doorpost of your home so that when the death angel comes, seeing the blood of the innocent lamb, he will, you ready? He will pass over the house of the people of God and they would be saved. And it not only really saved the people of God that day, it pointed to the hour where God would shed the blood of the innocent land, his son Jesus, to save us. Remember what John the Baptist called Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' hour had come. And I love this hour. I oftentimes think, where would I be if this hour never came to be? This hour in Jesus' life would purchase for us endless hours of eternal life, life everlasting. Church, I am so thankful for that hour. It continues on in verse number one of John chapter 13. It says that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that language here because as we study the Gospel of John, love has been a predominant theme for God. So what? And he loved the world that he gave Jesus to us. This important thing reminds us something about Jesus' love in verse 1. And that is this, that Jesus' love for his disciples was not a conditional love. It wasn't based on how well they loved him back. In fact, over the next few chapters, we're going to see that they loved him pretty bad. And yet we find him saying, I love them until the end. I'm going to tell you something about the love of Jesus. Not only in that, does Jesus love us to the end. He loves us to the end and then some. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so thankful today 
that Jesus loves you and he loves me to the end. And then some, like he does with his disciples. On in verse 2, it says this, the evening meal was in progress, meaning this, they are sitting down at the table, they are already taking part in the meal, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, this week we fix our eyes on Jesus, next week we fight Judas, okay? We're going we're gonna to revisit this. Um, Judas has already sold his soul. For the Star Wars fans out there, right, he's already gone over to the dark side, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week together. But I want you to notice something. The evening meal, it's in progress by this point in verse 2. And Luke chapter 22 also tells us some of this event and that Jesus and his disciples were given this upper room at a man's house to celebrate the meal. So this Passover Seder is already in progress. The, the matzah or the unleavened bread is on the table along with the lamb that has been cooked and bitter herbs. The table is set. Songs have been sung. Prayers have been made. Stories are being told according to what was commanded by God of this meal. And then in verse 3, we get a little window into Jesus' thoughts. We get to see really the gravity of this moment for him because watch, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. This hour Hear me, Jesus' life would not be taken, but his life would be given for you and for me. Jesus knows this full well. He knows what is coming, what will transpire. He knows what he must do. And think of it, Jesus sitting at this feast, sitting at this meal, is some 15 hours out from his death, and what does he do? He gets up from the meal, gets up from the table, took off his outer clothing, Meaning this, he would have had an outer garment, he took it off, and all he would have on is his tunic, or, or guys, we would kind of see this as an undershirt. And the Bible says this, that he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you're reading this, and you're in the first century, and you're going, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Their feet were dirty? I mean, this is a big problem in the story. Why are their feet dirty? Now, while it's not cultural norm for us today, foot washing was in the Middle East where foot washing was an essential act of hospitality. Tables in Jesus' day, man, they sat low to the ground, and there were a lot of them at the meal in John chapter 13. The disciples would have eaten close to each other, and their feet would have been tucked in beside them, really near the person next to them. It was important that their feet were clean. In that day, walking was probably the primary means of travel. That meant dry and dusty roads and footwear that was almost always universally sandals and open. Let me give you a visual. We're building a house and so we don't have a driveway yet. And so everything around our house is just dirt. Yesterday we were out there and the kids just love going out playing in the dirt. And, and my son Bennett loves Crocs. How many of you kids love Crocs? I mean, my, how many of you love Crocs? I, I love Crocs too. But here's the deal. The minute you put a five-year-old in Crocs and put him on dirt, things start getting nasty where all these holes are. They just start getting really dirty. And then by the time he takes off his Crocs, his feet are absolutely covered. So I want to say this. While foot washing is not the norm in this good old U.S. of A., if you have a five-year-old little boy, foot washing is an everyday practice uh, for a mom and dad, right? Just feet get absolutely dirty. The disciples' feet would have probably been as dirty as a five-year-old's feet at that feast. 
Although Jesus and the disciples were given the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, no servants nor slaves were provided to wash their feet. It was the job of the servant, it was the job of the slave to wash the feet for the guest who would be there. But in their absence, if there were no slaves and no servants, it was customary for the first ones who arrived at the meal to pick up the towel and to wash feet. Well, Luke chapter 22 tells us the first ones there, Peter and John. And obviously, foot washing was not their thing because they just didn't do it. It was beneath them. And you and know, I can imagine them saying to themselves, hey, surely, hey, George, some, surely somebody else will do it. Surely somebody else will wash feet. And can I stop here for a moment? Oh, the ministry, all the opportunities, and oh, the gospel work that is missed because surely someone else will do it. Surely someone else will. Here's a little poem I came across this week. There's a fellow named somebody else. There's nothing this guy can't do. He's busy from morning till way late at night just substituting for you. You are asked to do this and you're asked to do that. And what is your reply? Get somebody else to do that job. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do in this weary old world. So much in workers, so few. And somebody else, all weary and worn, is still substituting for you. And yet you read in Scripture that God has saved you and called you to a work that he set aside for you. And we begin to realize that there really is no substitute for you. I want you to hear me. You cannot serve Jesus at a distance. To wash feet, to serve, you have to get your hands dirty, which means personal involvement. And maybe one of the biggest crimes in all the church is that when we show up here on Sundays, our hands are far too clean. As somebody else get their hands dirty in the work that Christ has called us to do. And it isn't always somebody else's job to wash feet. Jesus shows us here, it's yours and mine. So in verse 5, Jesus steps up and he kneels down and he goes to each disciple and begins to wash their feet. Why? Because let me remind you, the room is filled with dirty feet and proud hearts. In the Gospel of Luke, we find that it's during this Passover meal that in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, the Bible says a dispute. Now listen, while all this is taking place, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And who is it that is the goat, the greatest of all time of Jesus' father? Who is it that's going to sit on the throne next to him? As the greatest of his followers, I love how one author put it, the disciples were willing to fight for a throne, but not a towel. In their pride, they wanted to know who the goat was, who who had the throne of the greatest of his disciples. They wanted to know the the pecking order. Y'all ever heard that phrase before, the pecking order? One pastor explained it this way, chickens have an interesting tendency to set up a social order in which the strong pick on the weak, or better yet, where the strong peck on the weak. In fact, the most dominant chickens will peck on the head of weaker chickens. The weakest chickens at the bottom of the pecking order 
You want to know how to find them? Just look for the bald-headed, bleeding bird who's always looking over his shoulder, and that is the weakest chicken of all. You see, the proud, and they care about the pecking order. Who sits on the throne? Who's the greatest? But Jesus begins to show us that the humble put aside the throne, could care less about a pecking order, and they pick up the towel. Hey, church, do you know that pride is the doing, undoing of so many of us? You learn a lot about pride from the book of Proverbs. And so here's some things you learn. For instance, proud people want to be first noticed and at the center of it all, according to chapter 25 of Proverbs. They project self-reliance in chapter 28, in control of their own future in chapter 27, and by the way, tend to be controlling of other people's futures as well. The proud man is blind to his own faults, chapter 30, exaggerates his own virtue in chapter 25, all the while tearing down others who get in his way around him. Proud people have a tendency to stir up strife and trouble in chapter 28. Uh, just look at the disciples here at this meal in Luke chapter 22. Pride sets us up for the fall according to chapter 16, turns people against us and us against people in chapter 13 of Proverbs, demeans the grades and disgraces others according to chapter 29, and puts us in trouble with God according to chapter 6. No wonder pride tops the list of things that God hates. The remedy for pride is what Jesus shows us in humility. There's a saying out there, you know what you and I need to do? We, we need to swallow our pride. No. You and I need to crucify our pride with Christ so that and we no longer live. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. Don't swallow your pride, church. Crucify it. Uh, one of the hardest jobs on the football field is carried on by guys like this. This is the offensive line. Go ball. Uh, this is the offensive line. And listen, every play, they got some 300-pound brick wall coming at them. You ready to knock them over and to take what is theirs, which is their quarterback. If you ever get around an offensive line coach, here is the singular message they preach Here's the message time and time again to his offensive line. You ready? Stay low. Stay low. Why? Because the taller you stand, the more likely it is that somebody is going to knock you off your feet and onto your hind end. So stay low. Offensive line, stay low. The very message coming out from this foot washing that we see in Jesus it's a message not only to the disciples, but to every believer in the house today. You ready, believer? Stay low. Stay humble. The very position of Jesus here in the text. And so Jesus hits the disciples where it hurts the most in their pride. And he hits their pride with the hammer of humility. Watch how this unfolds in verse 6. That he came, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Guys, this is not necessarily a sincere question. Peter's offended. You're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Hey, my question for Peter, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? Good Lord, that's what I say to my, who do you think you're talking to? And yet we see here 
the symptoms of pride begin to well up in Jesus. For if washing feet is beneath me, remember, Peter was first on scene. He ought to wash feet. But if it's beneath me, Jesus, surely it's beneath you, the guest of honor at this meal. Well, Jesus answers Peter's pride. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now watch Peter. I love this guy. Man, he's such... Anyway, the, the Lord, Peter said, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those of you who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to, who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you was clean. Now here's what I want you to catch. You ready? That Jesus is saying to Peter here in the text, hey, calm down, Peter. You belong to me. You have allowed me to wash you, to clean you by faith in me. But Judas, not only are his feet dirty, so too is his heart. He has never allowed me to wash him, to make him clean by faith. I may wash his feet tonight, but he will not let me wash his heart or clean his soul by faith. You know, I think of that moment for Peter and I go, the events of John chapter 13 that promise that Jesus gave him early on in, in verse 9. The, like, I just know you don't, you're not going to understand this now, but you're, you're going to understand this later. I'm in verse 7, right? I imagine this moment it greatly impacted him. It never left him. In fact, later on we watch Peter write in 1 Peter 5, 5 to the church, that all of you clothe yourself in humility. Listen, I can imagine as he writes this, tears begin to kind of form on the corners of his eyes. And as he writes this, clothe yourself in humility... I wonder if immediately his mind was taken back to the day that Jesus took off the outer garments, wrapped the towel around his waist, and, and washed his feet. And so the scroll upon which he wrote, I bet, was stained with tears. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because watch this, God opposes, opposes the proud. Don't believe me? He did me. And he also gives grace to the humble. Don't believe me? And he gave me grace. I wonder if Peter would tell of that day in John chapter 13 to others and say this. And there we were, fighting about thrones. And there Jesus was. The first to pick up a towel and wash her feet. D.L. Moody said it this way. We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. Our pride may convince us that we're big stuff. We can be too big for God to use. But never is it the case we're too small. Hey, believer, stay low. Crucify your, your pride. Don't fight for the throne. Be the first to pick up the towel and wash feet. In verse 12, it says this, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is any messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. Now, I want to say this. I do not believe that Jesus is enacting a third ordinance here for the church to practice every week. Like that of baptism or, or communion. 
Meaning this, you ready? We didn't set up foot washing stations in the sanctuary today. I was this close. This close. I don't think that what Jesus is doing here is to tell us that every time we get together, we need to wash feet. But I do believe what Jesus is doing, he's showing them and us a practical way to carry out a new command. Guys, I've been in those services where I've washed feet feet of people, and and people have washed my feet, and I'm telling you, it's incredibly moving and powerful. In fact, tonight when we go home, my my kids were in the earlier service, and I'm going to wash my kids and my wife's feet today. I'm 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 just going to love on them and and, and try to show Jesus to them today. I think you should do it. But I think what Jesus is doing is not telling us to go wash each other's feet every day necessarily, physically. But a practical way to carry out a new command. This new command, just a few verses down, in verse 34, Jesus would say at the table, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Washing feet, you got to see this, doesn't always mean water and a basin. But it always means getting your hands dirty in the mess of people's lives, putting down the title and picking up the towel to love and to serve others in a practical way. Again, one of the greatest threats in the life of the church today is we've got a lot of clean hands in the room. Dirty feet, prideful hearts, and clean hands. And so today, we've got to take home some leftovers from this meal, this Passover meal in John chapter 13. What do those leftovers look like? Well, it teaches us a couple of things about washing feet. You ready? Here are the leftovers. Washing feet today says, I will wash your feet even if you never wash mine. Man, don't we live in a world that demands you wash my feet? At no point in this passage do we find that Peter ever cleaned the dirty feet of Jesus, nor any of the disciples ever washed Jesus. And I will wash your feet, even if you never wash mine. You ready? I will not fight you for the throne, but I will be the first to pick up the towel. It doesn't have to be all about me. I don't have to sit on the throne. I have to be top of that pecking order. I'm not going to fight you for the throne, but I will be the first to pick up the towel. Want some more leftovers? And I won't swallow my pride but I will crucify it. I'm going to tell you something what happens when you and I uh, swallow our our, our pride. More than not, we throw it up again. It's just a mess. Listen, you can't control your pride. You can't manage it. You and I have to crucify it. And last but not least, here's our last little bit of leftovers. Stay low. And I'm going to love you to the end. I will stay low and love you to the end and then some just like Jesus did me. Hey, can I ask you a question? How many of your marriages would have been saved if both of you decided, you know what? I'm going to wash your feet. How many marriages can still be saved in this room today, if a husband will look at his wife and go, you know what, I, I'm going to wash your feet, even if you never wash mine. 
I'm going I'm to not fight you for the throne in this house. Who's the greatest who ought to be served? But I'm going to be the first to pick up a towel. A wife who comes along and says, you know, I'm just going to swallow my pride. I'm going to crucify it. A wife who goes, I'm going to stay low and I'm going to love you to the end. And, and even more than that, just like Jesus did me, how many more marriages can he say today? What would it look like in your families, in your extended family, and that family member you no longer talk to, if at some point you didn't just swallow your pride, you crucified it, and decided to try and wash their feet instead? How about that friend? You used to be so close, but you aren't anymore. And pride, things gotten away. What would it look like if you went up and you washed their feet and served them, loved them? What would it look like in our community if every Sunday after meeting together and we were sent out in the restaurants we we're going to eat at and the families where we we're going to sit down and have a meal in a community into a work week where we decided, you know what, here's going to be my position. I don't have to be on top of the pecking order anywhere. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to wash people's feet even if they never wash mine. How much different would Sevier County look if we stopped fighting for a throne? It started being the first to pick up the towel. How much different would the world look if we began just not only to swallow our pride, but to crucify it and to bring a gospel that says, you know what, I'm going to stay low and I'm going to love you to the end and then some, just like Jesus did me. Church, it is time that we wash feet. Hey, boss man. Hey, business owner. I saw this question posed in a leadership book one time. What happens when you find yourself being the most powerful person in the room like Jesus was? You know what you do? You wash the feet of those who are under you. Hey, employee, and how is it when you find yourself with a boss or with management or leadership above you? You ready? You wash their feet. When you find yourself being the most powerful person in the room, you do what Jesus did and you wash feet. Back in 2014, um, I was youth pastor over in Charlotte. In fact, Maddie is one of my students over in Charlotte. Her and her husband are here today. I married them a couple years ago now, two years ago. This week, y'all still married? Man, that's great. I love it. We went to Dominica. And uh, Dominica, not Dominican Republic, is one of the poorest islands in our hemisphere in the Caribbean island chain. Um, its population is just over 74,000 people, which is... It's smaller than Sevier County, the population of the nation. And our task that week was to partner with an organization called Samaritan's Feet, ran by a man who grew up in a third world nation, never had a pair of shoes. His goal was to put shoes on the feet of the entire nation's kids. So our youth group partnered with the Caribbean Islands. Listen, all the youth groups from the Caribbean Islands came together and converged on Dominica. And here's what we'd spend the week doing, among other projects, is we would wash the kids' feet we throw away flip-flops and we give them their first brand new pair of shoes and it was something else. It was incredible. In fact, I have a picture of some of our team doing that right here and it's just an awesome moment. Now, part of that, we also wanted to do some projects for the community and so our team was tasked with going up to the top of this hill where there was a building in progress and it was a homeless shelter for the island. It just is an impoverished nation. 
It's a homeless shelter. And so we went up to this homeless shelter, and, uh, and my job was just to take my youth. We were going to go up there and paint center block walls. Well, when we got up there, I noticed there were about 20 to 30 men who were dressed in a prisoner's uniform. No, no shoes. Just dressed in a prisoner's uniform. All of them had machetes. The guard that was over them was 150 years old, came up to my belly button and had no gun. And they just dropped us off and said, good luck painting, right? And so here I am with my students. And we're up there painting, and I just kind of gathered around and said, hey, guys, listen, there's a good chance you're not going to see your mom and dad again. So I need us to band together, right, no matter what happens here. And so and we began to paint. And uh, out, in the, uh, out in the bush, the prisoners had their machetes, and they're just cutting down brush every which way. I'll never forget we're painting one day. And one of them goes, hey, Pastor Anthony, come here. I went, no. <laughs> yeah, no. And he was out in the bush. They all had machetes. He's like, there's no way. I'm not stupid, right? Come here. So I gathered the youth group around again and said, guys, listen, if you hear me scream like a girl, y'all run. Run to your mom and dad so you'll never see me again, right? And so, man, I go out there, and here's what he said. He said, I know y'all have some extra sandwiches. We're on. And do you mind if we have something to eat? So you know what we did? We washed feet. Now, I didn't have a basin. I didn't have any water. But we sat down with them and shared lunch with them and talked with them. There was a guy who I kind of got along with, and, and he was one of those machete guys. And uh, I was talking to him like, what you in for? Trying to be cool. What, what you in for? Literally thinking. He would have said, Anthony, I stole a bag of bread from my family. He said, no, I stabbed a guy to death while holding a machete on. Really? <laughs> Me too. Uh, that's awesome. And... Uh, Anyway, we had lunch with them and was just overwhelmed with the thought we have to share the gospel with them. So we, we shared the gospel with them. I mean, nine of those prisoners gave their heart and their lives to Jesus. I remember they came up to me afterwards and they said, you've got to baptize us. I said, okay, we don't have a whole lot of running water. There's no facilities up here. And he said, no, if you don't baptize us, nobody, would you baptize us? I said, we'll do it. So I looked at the guard, remember, 150-year-old, coming up to my belly button, no gun. I said, hey, buddy, can we go down to the ocean? He's like, no, if we go down there, they're going to run away. I'm like, they could run away now. <laughs> like, you can't stop it. Okay, that's cool. I said, how about tomorrow? So we're going to do it tomorrow. Here's the problem. That night, a tropical storm hit, knocked off power and water, everything on the island. Everything was flooded, mud slides everywhere. It was a miracle we got up to that place that day, but there were the prisoners. We were going to fill up a construction barrel, but the water was cut off, and so there was no way to fill it up. And I just looked at the men and said, man, I'm so sorry. There, there's nothing I can do. We looked for every which way, and then the guy who um, had stabbed somebody to death who was still holding a machete, and we got to be friends, he gave his life to Jesus, and guess what? He said, there's some water over here. And I said, water over where? He said, the storm filled our septic tank that we had dug full of water, and you can... You can baptize us in there. And I went, no, I can't. No, no, I can't. You see, in that water was also thousands of mosquitoes. There was an outbreak on the island of chikungunya, which was a madman's disease because it swelled all your joints and it was so painful that you would go mad. And we were trying to stay away from mosquitoes. I looked down the septic tank. There were thousands of them. Pastor Anthony, you can, you can baptize us there. I said, no, I can't. In my heart, I was going, Lord, no. I, no. I'm not, I'm, not doing, I'm not climbing down in there. And, man, Jesus washed feet. How's Jesus love me and how's Jesus serve me? It's okay. So take a look at the screen if you would. This is what it looked like 10 years ago, Maddie. 
and Dominica in a septic tank that we had dug, nothing in me wanted to climb down there. Nothing in me wanted to stay down in there. And yet, you know what? Man, I had to get my hands dirty. We got to get our hands dirty. And washing feet isn't always a towel in a basin. Sometimes it's a septic tank. It's stormwater mosquitoes. I tell you what, washing feet is one of the greatest privileges a believer can ever do. Big enough that Jesus saw fit to do himself. Are your hands too clean? Now let me ask you this, are your feet too dirty, your heart too prideful? To wash someone's feet this week. Whose feet are you going to wash this week? Who are you going to serve and love in a practical way in order to point them to Jesus and to the gospel and to show your love? Whose feet are you washing this week? Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, uh, man, believer, I I don't know where this message hits you. It probably kind of kicks you in the gut. And I, I guess there's some design there. I want to tell you, my prayer every Sunday is that we are sending out believers with the good news of the gospel. And here, let me tell you how we get it to people. We don't fill up Nayland Stadium and preach it. We get down on our knees and we wash feet. We put down the title and pick up the towel. We say, you know what? You may not offer anything to me, but I'm going to wash your feet even if you never wash mine. I'm not going to fight you for the throne on who's the greatest because you know what? Jesus already has that title. I don't need it. But I will be the first to pick up the towel and serve you. Man, I'm done with swallowing my pride because he keeps coming back up. I'm going to crucify my pride. And I'm going to love you to the end and then some. I'm going to wash your feet. That's what Jesus did. When was the last time you washed your spouse's feet? When was the last time you said, it's not all about me? I'm going to serve. Some of y'all need to go home tonight and have that conversation. Husbands, you need to man up. You need to sit down with your wife. And you need to go, forgive me. For I've just demanded you to wash my feet. That changes. I'm going to wash your so you wives need to get sit down your husband and go, man, I'm sorry. For time and time again, I'm demanding of you, wash my feet. So I, I'm going to stay low and I'm going to wash yours. There are other relationships that this makes a difference in. Believer, the problem in the church today is our hands are too clean. Because we're not busy getting them dirty in the messiness of people's lives and the hope of the gospel. The problem in the church today is we've got dirty feet and prideful hearts. Oh God, that you would forgive us. God, would you send us out today? Wash feet. As believers are praying, I, and just like a gentleman in the earlier service, I can't help but to pass this moment to say this. There are some of you who like Judas has told Jesus your entire life, no, you're not going to wash my heart. Now, I'm not going to let you wash my sins away. Jesus, no. 
How much know you got left in you? In light of the good news of the gospel, Jesus who died on a cross for your sins, who emptied the grave so that he could wash away your sins and give you new life. Hey, let me ask you this. For the no crowd here today, are you tired of saying no yet? Well, hey, if you are, Jesus can save you. He can wash your sins away and give you a new life and a new hope. Why not trust him right now? Why not cry out to him? Maybe pray this from your heart to his. Dear Jesus, I, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please save me. I place my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for, for rising again. I give you my life. Would you help me turn from my sin and myself? Jesus, I am yours. With nobody looking, there might very well be somebody who was in the no crowd who's now in the yes crowd. And you prayed that with me. I won't embarrass you or come to you. But if you prayed that with me, would you look up here just for a moment? Would you allow my eyes to catch yours? I'm not going to embarrass you or come to you. But hey, Pastor, I, I prayed that with you. And I'm looking just for you. I see you, sir. Somebody else. Pastor, that was me. I was in the no crowd. But Jesus saved me the yes crowd. I see you, buddy. I see you, man. Somebody else, it's me. Give me just another moment, if you would, to just pan in every face that I can. Fellas, the two of you who just looked up at me, man, I'm excited about what God's doing, but I want you to hear me. This is not the end. It's just the beginning. Text your name to that number. And we'd love to follow up with you this week, pray with you, and help you take some next steps. There's a next steps tent that we would love to meet you at. Get your name and number and help you take whatever next step of faith in Jesus. So men who looked up at me today, man, I triple dog dare you. Don't you leave this place without getting a hold of me. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.